This is the BBBC. And now, Jack and Ori. Hello, and thank you for downloading. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a weekly series looking at unfamiliar places across the world, an aspect of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, Ian Oliver, also known as the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture, and the whys behind travel itself. So join me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. So, this is a bit of a bonus edition pod. I'm in the process of making my next travel podcast, which will be all about Uzbekistan, but while I'm awaiting contributions for that, I figured it was probably a good idea to record something, rather than have another couple of huge gaps in my episode schedule, which will probably happen anyway. One thing I've realised is that it does help to have a regular schedule. Now, I know this post itself will be out of schedule, but in my defence, it'll only be, you know, a day or two later than my original plan, which is to have things out uh, sort of on UK time. So when you wake up on Thursday mornings, it'll be there. Having a regular programme schedule is important for listener confidence and encourages people to subscribe and listen. I mean, Imagine the outcry if something like EastEnders was broadcast at 7.32pm on a Wednesday and then the next episode appeared at 11.36am a week the following Saturday. And yet people don't think it matters for podcasts so much or even blog posts. I mean, that said about blog posts, I make it an open policy that I don't post them on a regular basis because my website is a personal love affair and transparently so. I don't aspire to be a newspaper or a magazine. But this podcast, this is different. It's almost like a radio show. You, as listeners, deserve better and more reliable production. It's part of the New Year, New Me concept that I, yeah, kind of not acknowledging. As I may have mentioned in my previous podcast episode, that's episode 7, Sexuality, I had a bit of a crash mentally in mid-December, so now it's the new year I've been trying to, you know, actually do things that I should have done a long time ago. I've taken the view that 2018 was a bit of an explosion of issues caused by 20 years' work. A blowout, if you will, and that now I'm into 2019, I'll finally start doing stuff that I need to do. At this point, I probably need to give a shout-out to Monica Stott, travel blogger at The Travel Hack and respected influencer. A couple of years ago, I went to a workshop she ran at the Traverse Travel Blogger Conference, and she said that if you wanted to quit your job and be a full-time blogger, You should have between four and six months salary saved up. Any more than that and you become complacent and don't focus on what you need to do. And that is what I've had for the bulk of 2018. Complacency. Now I'm starting to realise just how much money I've spent on an everyday basis because I've not been worried about it. So even though I still have more than her six months limit, that I've been spending so much and know it won't last forever is starting to focus my mind. 
So far this year, I've created a Work With Me page for bloggers and brands, which I'll concede was basically nicked from my friend Kirsty Leanne. The concept there, though, is that by making one, it becomes easier to approach brands with a view to working with them. I've rationalised my Instagram feed and switched it to a business account that I may not have done quite properly. It tried to create a new Facebook page to link to, which I've now deleted, but I can't work out how to connect it to my real Facebook page. I've made a list of a whole host of blog posts I should be writing, so I kind of have a work plan now. And, perhaps surprisingly, I've actually had contact with one brand. Now, it's not a big thing, and it's also not something I've had any active role in getting, but... It's to do with the hike I'm doing in summer across Great Britain. My hiking partner, Becky the Traveller, is much more into sponsorship and brand liaison than I am. And at WTM, she approached a company called water to go They're a company that produces refillable water bottles with a filter, so you can drink out of streams and such without having to buy or carry plastic water bottles, etc. They were agreeable to her suggestions, so because I'm doing it with her, they gave me one. Expect some ludicrous product placement in the coming months. That'll be alien for me. I've also set up, finally, a Facebook group for this podcast. It's called Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. No shit. So should be fairly easy to find. It's designed as a place to chat about the podcast and travel in general, and to make it easier to discuss contributions about future pods. It'd be cool if you joined up and said hi. By the way, my upcoming pods will be on luggage. I travel with only carry-on luggage, but then I travel solo and light, so I can international borders, and London. I've also booked some more trips away. I, I leave the UK on the evening of the 16th of January, so less than a week now, eh, and I don't come back till the 1st of March. As previously mentioned, I'll be in Philippines for two weeks, but I'll also be going to a couple of other places, one I've been wanting to go for a while, and one I'd never previously thought of either way. I'll be spending my first week in Lebanon, it's an incredibly historical country and small enough to be able to explore quite well in the limited time I have. I haven't booked accommodation yet, but I imagine I'll base myself in Beirut and take day trips to places around and about. Apart from Beirut itself, there's the ancient cities of Sidon and Tyre, Baalbek in the east, as well as great walking scenery and apparently good wine. Obviously, the food is a given. I'm already looking forward to a decent hummus. It's a perfectly safe place, yes... After that, I'll have a weekend in Hong Kong before I meet my good friend Laura. I've been to Hong Kong before, but that was way back in 2002, and I imagine it's changed a bit since then. Laura's been recently and thoroughly enjoyed it, but of course, we are very different people. It's one of those places that I know a lot of, but like Singapore, it's not a place I'm terribly familiar with. I am, of course, definitely again looking forward to the food. There's a theme here. As previously mentioned, I then have two weeks in Philippines, a place which a lot of travel bloggers say, you don't go there for the food. But I'll be going in the company of Laura, who is an intense planner and who, by the time you listen to this, will have already told me exactly what I'm doing on each individual day and which hostel I'm going to be staying in. It's a good job I love her, platonically, obviously, otherwise I could get rather angsty. She's still planning to teach me to swim at one of the many beaches in the country, and to that end I have now bought a pair of goggles and some water shorts. I wasn't quite sure what the difference was between water shorts and swim shorts. Both of them were laid out on the same rack in the sportswear shop I went to, so I ended up buying the ones in the funkiest colour. Not luminous yellow, alas, as they didn't have those in my size. They're a kind of aqua blue-green colour. Assume that there won't be any pictures of me wearing them in the sea unless Laura is being particularly evil, and assuming she can stop laughing. 
After Philippines, I have a couple of days in Kuala Lumpur. See Hong Kong, but instead of 2002, I was last there in 2012. Before I head to... Now, I had a debate with myself in the pub about this, as when I went to SDA Travel to discuss, they said they could only hold the ticket open to the end of the day. I gave myself a choice between Bangladesh and Nepal for two weeks, Bangladesh being much more road less travelled, great food, um, more obscure, obviously, um, more me, but with maybe less to spend two weeks comfortably doing. Nepal is more well known, much more well travelled, probably colder, better scenery. After a couple of pints of quite strong ale, I decided I should head to, perhaps surprisingly, Nepal. I mean, I'll be going to both anyway before 2022, but I took the view that I'd probably be better served by the larger and more varied Nepal, especially as I went to Sri Lanka relatively recently. That said, I have checked flight prices and times, and if I find I don't like Nepal for some reason, Bangladesh is less than two hours away and quite cheap. I ought to give another shout out here to Monica Gray, Globe Trotticker, on Instagram and Twitter, for making the Nepal suggestion, otherwise I wouldn't have thought of it in the first place. I know very little about Nepal. It fills the same role in my head as places like Bristol and Leicester in the UK. Places that, while I have no objection to, equally, they've never been places that have been high on my I-should-go-there list. They're places I don't really know a lot about either way, places I'm kind of indifferent to. I have actually been to both Bristol and Leicester, but more out of a sense of, well, I ought to because they're there. But I'm sure it's a really interesting country, and I'm quite keen on finding out more, especially when I mentioned it as a possibility to the folks in SDA Travel. They were very enthusiastic about the place, and since then I've had good vibes from several of my Twitter friends, so we'll see. So, about this pod. Another of the things that I've been doing at the start of the year is rationalising my websites. You may not know this, but I didn't start on the internet as a travel blogger. Although I did end up recording my travels on my personal website as early as 2000, and the travel diaries I wrote from them are still there if you know where to look, my original focus was as a fiction writer of short stories and poems. I still have my old personal website created in 1996 and apparently last updated in 2008. I did think about briefly updating it last week. Ooh. But a chat with my friend Victoria Pearson, herself an author of short stories, made me think that, oddly, my writing may well belong on the same website as my travels, since, in effect, much of what I write about has a travel basis. Certainly, some stories I've written, if filmed, would fall under the road movie genre. And if you think about it, even epic fantasy novels like Lord of the Rings are mostly about scenery and travel, though that's partly because Tolkien talked too much. In addition... Having had a look at my personal website, there's not much else on there aside from the stories of the poems that needs to be kept. I'm not quite sure yet how to fit them onto my Barefoot Backpacker site, but I'm sure it'll work out. I'm already planning to expand my long reads section on there into something covering more of my political writing that may have appeared on someone else's podcast previously, so I guess I'm already expanding my remit beyond travel. In acceptance of all this, and because a Twitter poll I asked when I was contemplating starting my own podcast suggested that people like to listen to things weekly, I've decided to record one of my travel-related stories as a bonus edition of my podcast while I wait for my Uzbekistan post to be collated. I wrote it while on a residential writing course back in 2013 run by the Arvon Foundation. It was about travel writing, and it took place about seven kilometres from Loch Ness in Scotland in what I assumed to be a converted crofter's or drover's cottage. No mobile signal, no internet. Over midsummer, 
It was light enough to read outside at 11pm. It was perfect location for a writing getaway. To be honest, I've not looked at this story much since. I feel the ending as it stands is a bit... Uh, weak, but it's definitely something that's a good basis to work from. Interestingly, I have issued it before. It was on my website back in 2014 in the early days of Barefoot Backpacker. And when I issued it, the folks I worked with at the time thought that it was real. Hope you enjoy it. It's Grim Up North by the Barefoot Backpacker. This is an urgent message for Mr Morris. This is Greater Manchester Police. We've been trying to get in touch with you for several days. Could you please phone the Wigan station as soon as possible on 01942? I rolled my eyes as I stood in the main foyer of Santiago Airport. I'd been offline for about ten days since leaving New Zealand, and it always seemed that whenever I disappear for a while, something important happens, like the car park outside my office floods, or my friend breaks up with one of her boyfriends again. But this was different. I hadn't set foot in Greater Manchester for over a year. I didn't know anyone specifically in Wigan, and I'd certainly had no run-ins with the police since an altercation at Lincoln Railway Station involving a ticket barrier five years previously. I hung up on voicemail, slightly apprehensively, and looked at the time on my phone. By the time I reached the hostel, the police station back in the UK would have signed off for the evening. I figured they'd been trying to contact me for four days, leaving several voicemails, so they could wait till tomorrow. They say you should always be sat down in comfortable surroundings when you hear bad news. I was sitting on one of the upper bunks in my six-bed hostel dorm room, unable to feel truly comfortable on either the mattress, which was harder than an Inca statue, nor the wooden frame of the bed, with my sandaled feet dangling over the edge. If there's one thing I dislike more than wearing shoes, it's clambering up dorm ladders barefoot. Facing me, behind another two-bed bunk, was an unadorned wall painted in primary school red and yellow. Most of the hostel was decorated in similar, simple, plain, bright colours. The room itself, a sparse rectangle, but brightened by the light streaming through a large wall of window to my right, was empty, save the detritus of three other backpackers, a pair of motorcycle boots, a small rucksack on the lower bed in front of me, a couple of towels draped over chairs and bed frames, a small selection of maps and leaflets, and, on the bottom bunk, of the bed to my left, a well-thumbed copy of the Lonely Planet Guide to South America, in French. I wasn't looking forward to making the call. Everyone gets nervous when they talk to police, even if the most they've ever broken the law is driving 31 in a 30 zone. I was also not looking forward to receiving the bill this month. Tentatively, I dialed the number on my mobile, still confused as to what it could be about. Mistaken identity? Has someone been using my details abroad in some huge fraud scheme? I've been using my debit card in some slightly suspect places on my around-the-world trip so far. Or has my house been robbed and whatever remained of my worldly possessions been found burning in a skip in Wigan? Whatever it was, I believed it was definitely negative. I'm sorry to be the bearer of rather bad news, said the officer at the other end of the line. I listened, asked the usual questions of how and when, and was informed what the next steps would be, involving mainly more phone calls. I came off the call feeling partly empty, but also partly nonplussed, not really sure how I knew I should have felt. My father was dead. I never knew my real dad. My mother divorced when I was just a baby, indeed not long after we were discharged from hospital. 
It seemed to have been an acrimonious separation. My firm-minded grandmother, the sort of proto-feminist matriarch so common at the time, who saw Margaret Thatcher not just as a role model, but also simply as one of us, ripped his image out of all the photographs she could find. Sometimes it was his whole body, but on others where she couldn't, just his head. I have pictures of my mother's wedding day, where the groom is a man in a dark suit and tie, white shirt, and a head of, well, wood, carpet, sofa fabric, whatever the picture's resting on at the time, like one of those wooden sets popular at seaside, where you stick your head through and be photographed as if you're a cartoon figure, or a sailor, or some such. My dad was that to me, faceless, unreal, just an outline. I'm not even sure I know what he looked like, and apart from eyebrows, my family have never commented on any resemblance I have to him. They also never talked about him, although, being honest, I never proactively asked. All I knew is that he'd remarried and had a second family, and presumably had never ventured beyond Wigan. And now he was dead. I wonder what he would have thought about his firstborn travelling the world. Would he have approved? Would he rather the sort of fish and chips and the English seaside was good enough for my dad and it's good enough for me type person, quite common in the north at that time? Did he even know I still existed? And why was it me being told, someone with no memory of him at all, for whom he was just a name, nothing more than half my DNA? What about his current family? The nest nestled nicely in the nook on the north of Nunkergate. We were sat outside a cafe in the old town of Valparaiso, on the Chilean Pacific coast, playing word games in our respective languages. Opposite me was Natalie, a twenty-something French girl with long dark hair wrapped into a bun, a black woolen cardigan draped over a cream blouse, casual and practical, yet still effortlessly chic. She was travelling alone around South America, but unlike me, was nearing the end of her trip. On my left was Eric, an American of indeterminate age, who seemed to favour the 1950s denim look, retro cool. He was following in the tyre tracks of Che Guevara, but had left his motorbike in Santiago in order to come with us to the coast. Le ver ver va ver le ver ver, giggled Natalie into her tea. Receiving a phone call from a solicitor is inconvenient at the best of times. Hearing a 1970s TV jingle in the centre of Chile while chatting with newfound friends is just abhorrent. I made my embarrassed excuses and stepped away from the table before answering the phone. No, I can't sign any forms because I'm in Chile. Pause. No, I don't have a fax machine because... Oh, wait! I'm in Chile. I was becoming somewhat exasperated by now. I don't know yet. March, I think. Yes, I know March is a long time away, but I'm travelling around the world. No, I'm not going to come back to the UK just to sign some sodding paperwork, unless you pay for it. Bah! Having a problem there? asked Eric as I returned to the table. I breathed in held my breath for a couple of seconds, put my palms face down on the table and breathed out. Admin, I replied dismissively. No, well, there, hmm, that was a solicitor back in the UK. I'm, how do I put this? A relative died and I seem to be the sole benefactor of his estate. Oh, sorry to hear, sympathised Natalie warmly, resting her hand platonically on mine. Close relative? No, I responded. Only my father. Seeing a raised eyebrow from my new friends, I continued, No, 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 I mean, I, I never knew him. He left not long after I was born. But because I'm his first child, they needed to tell me. Still sad, though, commiserated Eric. What happened? 
Heart attack, apparently. I don't know the full details, so I don't know if it was expected or not. All I do know is that he seems to have died without making a will. What does that mean? asked Natalie. Well, it means that when he died, rather than everything he owned passing over to people he chose to, it automatically becomes the responsibility of his next of kin. As his first-born child, that's me. After my mother divorced him, he remarried and had a family, but he divorced them as well, so regardless of marriages, as his oldest child, it passes to me. Ooh, said Natalie. So what did you get? Back in the hostel in Santiago, we crowded around my laptop in the large common room dining area. Man, that's a bit ugly, exclaimed Eric, looking at the screen. That's not worth going back for. How very English, observed Natalie. I'd been told by the solicitor that my father had been running his own business, from home effectively, a profitable going concern in a town close to Wigan. I'd expected it to be some kind of building services firm, or plumbers or a joiners, but when they told me it was called Vinnie's Place, my heart sank. My father's only assets were a fish and chip shop, and the flat above it, at the end of a row of 1930s red brick terraced housing on a road junction in the town of Apley Bridge. Looking at it through an online Street View website, the house next door to it had cardboard in lieu of a front window, a couple of front yards along the street were covered in weeds, the area below the front of window of the shop itself was littered with empty polythene fish and chip cartons, and as there were no people visible, or had been edited out, I couldn't help but imagine this image had been taken not long after some extinction event, and this was a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Maybe then it was exactly as I'd expected. It's grim up north, I mused sadly. What will you do? asked Eric. Will you go back and uh, claim your inheritance? Only if you've got some matches and lighter fuel. Oh wait, that'll only improve the place. I sighed and slumped back in my chair. Bugger. Well, I guess I have to see what it's like. It's mine now. People work there, I guess. It's funny. It's the kind of place I grew up in, but I don't feel attached to it. I've kind of moved on. Does that sound snobbish? Pretentious? Maybe I should be prouder of my roots. Here I am, poking the world with a big stick. Maybe I should do something back home for the community. They won't ever have the kind of life I'm living. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm thinking too much about myself, not enough about the people. I slowly stood up, assuming a Churchillian pose. These are the lands of Simon Bolivar, Che Guevara and Salvador Allende, who cared about the common people, who fought for them and died for them. Maybe this is a calling for me to do the same for the people of Wigan, for the North, for socialism. Maybe this is a calling that you need more beer, responded Eric. Deflated by the response to my call to arms, I sat back down. Anyway, Shea was the world's worst revolutionary. He was carried along in Cuba, completely failed in Congo, and didn't even do the research in Bolivia. He was doomed to failure before he even started. Bolivar died penniless and forgotten after his newly liberated states ruled onwards away from him and out of his control. And Allende himself had questionable policies whilst in office, and may have ended up leading a country more closely resembling China than Norway. I know, I know, I sighed. Though in part that's why I'm here. Tomorrow's September the 11th, the anniversary of his overthrow by Pinochet. I'm just interested to see how it's commemorated. We sat in silence for a few moments. I reflected on what I wanted in life, on why I was travelling at all. Was it because I wanted to see the world? Was it because I wanted to see what humans could do to each other to better understand why we are who we are? 
Or was I trying to find myself and what I was useful for? A quoi tu sais, pourquoi t'es là, as the song goes. Will you go back, do you think? asked Natalie. I thought for a second. Yes, I said. It'll be a journey and an adventure in itself. Well, that's just about all for this special edition of the podcast. Next time, we'll be looking in depth at Uzbekistan. Until then, kind regards, and if you're feeling off-colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. I'm pretty bad at that sort of thing myself, so I'll understand perfectly if you don't. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Kirkby and Ashfield studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, bonus, by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes of this podcast will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively, go to my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. Until next week, have safe journeys. Bye for now. Thank you.